I think I tell this story almost every year, um, not just because I want to tell it, but because I need it. My, uh, when my sister died about seven and a half years ago, it's, man, time flies by, but she was in the hospital for about 18 days, and the, the anthem for my family came from the moment when my mom and my dad were walking out of the hospital, their 31-year-old daughter had just died, leaving behind a son-in-law and a nine-year-old granddaughter at the time, and uh, when they're walking out into the parking lot, not really sure what, like, normal or if there would ever be a normal again, uh, my mother stopped my dad in the hallway and just squared up his shoulders and said, Rick, before we walk out those doors, I need you to tell me right now, what is it we believe? Remind me what we believe. And, you know, listen to my parents tell it now, it was probably just a few seconds that went by, but sometimes a few seconds can feel like eternity. And my dad looked at her and he said, four words, that's all I could find to flow out of me, and that's the tomb is empty. The tomb is, is empty, and if God raised Jesus from the grave and set him free, it's the same thing he's going to do for Jenny and for those who are in Christ, for God's children. So this morning we celebrate the tomb is empty. Uh, amen. Uh, there, there was a minister up in Minnesota a few decades ago, and he just had this heart for these small rural communities. And uh, he knew that they didn't have uh, a lot of the, um, just the, the funeral homes and things like that. So he would serve a lot, a lot of his time, he, he would give to serving an undertaker that would drive a, a hearse out to these sites, and they would take a casket, and then they would drive back, and they're going way out in the, in the woods, way out in the country to do a lot of these funerals, and there was one time he was driving along, they had just performed a funeral, they're on the way back, and this minister was tired, so he decided to get in the back of the hearse to, just to take a nap, to go to sleep, so he did. This is back, you know, before you had to wear seatbelts. They, uh, um, they pulled into a gas station, a service station, and some of if you remember a few decades ago, and if you pulled into a service station, you didn't pump your own gas, an attendant will come out and pump gas for you. So an attendant came out, was pumping gas, and the driver went inside, had to use the restroom. So the attendant is pumping gas, and the minister woke up and looked out the window, and there's this attendant. And this is a minister who loved making, he just, he loved people, he was a friendly guy, so he just knocked on the window, <laughs> put his face up to it, and just waved. And at that time, the driver was coming out and said he had never seen someone run that fast in his life. All right, because here's the deal. If you see life where you expect to see death, you would run too, right? If there's a place, if you were that person, if you're out at a graveyard and you see something come to life in a place where they're supposed to be dead, you would run too. So in John chapter 20, when Jesus rose from the dead, you have people sprinting. But, but this time, they're not sprinting away from death. It's John and Peter sprint running to death. Because they hear from this woman, Mary, that Jesus rose from the dead. And as soon as Mary tells them that, Peter and John take off running to the grave. Now, most people think that as John, in John 20, it says the, whenever it talks about the, uh, the Lord's uh, beloved or uh, the other disciple is referring to John himself. And John like, goes as far to tell you, like, as they're running to the grave, he beat Peter. He just wanted you to know that he could run fast, right? Like we do this sometimes. I mean, hypothetically speaking, like there was a preacher not too long ago who was able to get, have this March Madness bracket with people on staff and he was able to beat a secretary and two youth ministers, hypothetically speaking. He was able to beat the involvement minister uh, 
I mean, he didn't beat two of the other secretaries in the children's minister, all right? But hypothetically speaking, times we win things, we, we let people know. We throw it in there somehow. And then John lets you know, like, hey, we run into the tomb, and I ran faster, all right? Um, now, they knew this because women told them. There's a guy named Celsus. He was a Greek philosopher, lived in the second century. And Celsus uh, was antagonistic against Christianity, couldn't stand Christians, tried to form arguments to try to, like, destroy what Christianity is all about. And the best argument he could come up with of why the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen is because it was based on the testimony of women. And back then, the testimony of women just didn't hold up in the court of law. Apparently, it was something you couldn't trust. So for him, it was like women are the one bearing witness to this. So that's the best argument why it didn't happen. And this should go to show you like, why it did. Because I bet Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they were writing their Gospels, because all of them are hearing the accounts of the resurrection, and for them, it's like, man, every story we hear, women are the one who testified to the resurrection. They're the ones who were at the grave on that Sunday morning. So does anybody, like I can see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saying this, like was there any dude there at all? Like it would really make this argument better. Uh, even from a distance, like somebody who like saw a guy who saw like the women who maybe we could throw them in the story. But no dudes, no men. They're all locked up, locked up in their houses. But there's women who see this and testify. And it became this great argument for those on the outside of why it shouldn't be true. But I, I think for them to tell this means, man, it was true. Like, hey, God did the impossible. And he uses people who couldn't even witness in court to testify to this amazing event. Let me show you a few things in John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to see this. Because when you and I use the word like uh, we saw something or I see you, for most of us, uh, there's like one definition of it. But in in the Greek, there's actually three different definitions. There's like this progression. And I want you to see this. So get ready to take some notes because I I think this could change how you see John 20 and how God's inviting you into this today. In John chapter 20 verse 5, it's John beats Peter to the grave. And here's what it says in John 20, verse 5. He bent down to look in, and he saw the linen wrapping. So John looks in. Now, this word saw is blepo, blepe. And in the Greek, this is more of like a glance. So imagine John sprinting. He gets all the way, and he peeks in, and he sees linens. He sees nothing's in there, and he turns around to start telling other people, like, it's true, like nobody's in there. It's a glance. Now, when Simon Peter looks in in the next verse in verse 6, when he looks in, this is a different word for how Peter saw and what he saw. And the word here, it's more of um, paying careful attention. It's noticing the details. So if you notice when Peter starts talking, what he says is, if you go to the next one, uh, Simon Peter, is that he notices not only the linen wrapping lying there, but if you look in verse 7, he notices that there's also like the wrapping that was around Jesus' head was on the other side of the bed where he was laid. So he's noticing these other details. So this word is more of a gaze. So John gets there and John gets a glance. Peter gets there and Peter is gazing. Like, oh my goodness, he's noticing details. All right, and then in verse 8, John looks in, and when John sees, this is a different word too. This is a, three different words about how you see or how they saw. And in this one, it's the Greek word Eden, which is, this is like intelligent uh, comprehension. Imagine John looking in and looking around, and this time he's not just taking a glance. This time John's is like, whoa. Okay, now I see. Now this is making sense. 
Now I remember what Jesus said about having to die. And then he, three days later, he was going to come out of the grave. So there's almost this progression from getting this glance to this gaze to, whoa, okay, this is true. And I want to celebrate today. I want to celebrate how God's going to move some people, even in this room, to move you to the point where you're just glancing. Maybe it's been a while since you've just glanced. Maybe you've never glanced. You've never peeked in. You've never dug a little deeper into the story of Jesus. And I celebrate today those who will get a glance. And I want to celebrate those who God's going to move from a glance to a gaze. To paying a little more attention to how the tomb is empty and what it means for your life. And then I want to celebrate even more how God's moving people from the gaze to this, oh, okay, what does this mean for my life? Okay, this is making sense. Because now the disciples are there, and you got to ask the question at this point, like they're sitting there, and they know Jesus isn't there, but if Jesus isn't in there, then where's Jesus? And for them, it's like, okay, what do we do? So let me show you just a few responses in John chapter 20. In John 20, verse 10, and, and this just really stuck out to me over the last few weeks. It says they, just, they went home. It's that they went home. It was like, man, we, I, we don't really know where to go from here. Maybe you know someone who's passed away before and you rushed to the bedside to be with the family as they grieved one who lost. And sometimes when you're in that place, it, it's, it's somewhat awkward. It's like, man, when do I get up and leave? Like, I, where do we go? If you've been the person who has lost a loved one, if you've been in a hospital or somewhere, it's like, where do I go from here? Where, where do I go? For them, it's like, okay, Jesus isn't there. Where's Jesus? Okay, they just went home. And I get why they went home. They went to be with the people they had been walking with. Maybe they went to process stuff. But here's my concern, is that there are many Christians all over the world who experience an Easter Sunday or every Sunday or a divine encounter, and they leave that place and they just go home without a gaze, without looking deeper. They just go home because they went home. But right after that, what happens is Mary stood there. She stayed. And she wept. And as Mary wept, angels came and visited her. And then after the angels visited her, Jesus appeared. Now she didn't know it was Jesus at first. In verse 15 of chapter 20, she thought it was a gardener. But Jesus appeared and Jesus revealed himself. And I can't help but wonder if Peter and John would have stayed, would they have had those divine encounters too? And too often we have this encounter with God, but we're so busy in life that we're moving from that to just going home or going some other place instead of staying still to get the blessing from the Lord. Mary stayed. She has this divine encounter. So they went home. Now, in verse 19, what you see is, all right, later on that night, the disciples were in a room, and the doors were closed, and the doors were locked. If you keep reading, you may even see, like, the alarm was on. The the door was triple locked. They're in a closet. They're scared. The Bible says they were fearful of the Jews, that what they just did to Jesus, they're going to come and do to us too. So they're locked in a house. And they lock, they're locked in the house because they don't want the enemy coming to get them. But there, there's part of me, it's like, man, they're locked in a house where now they're almost like separating themselves from an encounter with God too. Because Jesus didn't just knock, Jesus appeared. It's pretty cool, right? So Jesus just appeared to them. So they're locked and they're fearful and there's anxiety and they're worried, worried and Jesus appears. I can't help but think of um, 
many of the Christians in Egypt who last Sunday had bombs go off as they were worshiping on Palm Sunday. Dozens of people died. And then I was blown away on Friday to hear stories of many of the Christians in those same areas who were right back in churches for Good Friday. And I'm sure for them there was fear and there was anxiety and doors were locked. But sometimes the worst thing the church can do is lock the doors and hold ourselves in because Jesus appears and Jesus says, Peace be with you. As God sent me, I am sending you. As God sent me into the world, I'm sending you. In other words, quit locking the door. It's time to engage in the mission. All right, and what Jesus does is there's this verse there, and notice it uh, in John 20 and 20 and 21. What Jesus does, he breathed on them. Have you ever been breathed on before? I mean, when I'm, when I'm breathed on, like positive, encouraging images don't come to mind. I have two boys who like to, in the morning, come and like jump on us, and they want to talk, and I'm like, dude, did you eat death last night? Like, quit breathing on me, man. Like, do you know the people, who, like, they're face talkers, they get really close, and they drink a lot of coffee, you know, and if you don't know who those people are, you probably are that person, all right, so, I'm just saying, when we think about being breathed on, like, I don't think you like to be breathed, I don't like to be breathed on, but when it comes to Jesus breathing on people, it's a different kind of breathing, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Because for God to breathe on you is to breathe life in you. And I love what Jesus says. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. There are times where the Spirit of God will invade your life and come in with no invitation. Yet I can't help but think that sometimes maybe God is saying, okay, hey, receive the Holy Spirit, which means open your hands, create some space. Are you ready for a little bit more of God? Then lay something down so that there can be a greater invasion in your life. Receive the Spirit. And look what happens in John 20. A week later, they're right back in the house. Doors are locked. And this time Thomas is there. Thomas wasn't there the week before. And Jesus comes and he appears again. And this time he says, peace be with you. And it becomes show and tell. Both appearances Jesus has with him, it's show and tell. It's, hey, I'm here, but I'm not a ghost. Look, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at the wounds. Look at the scars. Jesus was raised with scars that bore witness to his sacrifice. I think when we encounter Jesus one day in all of his glory, we're going to see the scars on Jesus because they tell the story of redemption. And I think that us, when we are redeemed in our bodies, that there will still be some scars on us. That It's not going to send us back to a place of pain or guilt or shame, but there are going to be scars to bear witness to God's story and how he's redeeming us in our lives. And Jesus was there Peace be with you. Um, and this is all Jesus bringing people to life because this reality has hit me recently that it is possible for us to be alive but to not yet be fully living in God. It's possible for us to have legs that are moving in and out of church but to not be walking in step with the Spirit of God. We can breathe with our lungs and have blood moving through our bodies yet not be fully alive like God wants us to be fully alive. So there's healing available today. There is salvation available. There's Jesus who is available to bring everything in you that doesn't reflect of life to life for his glory. One of the oldest understandings of the cross is this phrase, Christus Victor. 
It's Latin. We had this amazing Good Friday service Friday night, and I told the story of my friend uh, Kent Brantley, who's the Ebola doctor, and John French sent me an email this past week, a movie just came out recently, in which he was asked the question of, Kent, how did faith get you through? Some of you may remember I shot a video with Kent, and I showed it here in church last uh, October, and I asked him a very similar question. I said, my question was, hey, Kent, uh, how did, what strength did God give you to get you through? And he responded very similarly. And he said, Josh, faith is not what got me through. Faith is what gave me Ebola. He said, Josh, the strength of God isn't what got me through the sickness. The strength of God is what led me into a place where I got sick. Because it wasn't just about getting me through. It was God inviting me to step into this place in the world that was broken and hurting and sick. And God led me there. That God isn't just leading you out of safety. God's raising up a church to live as resurrected people, trusting that if, if we go down, God's going to bring us back to life. Um, Christus Victor is the idea that what God accomplished through Jesus was the death of death. That Jesus didn't just die and then 30 minutes later rose from, the, rose from the dead. That Jesus went into the grave, into the darkest place. And when God brought Jesus back to life, it wasn't up on a high mountain. It wasn't out in public for everyone to see. He brought him to life in the very center where people went to be buried, where they had died. He brought him to life in that place. Because for God to go after death, which the Bible says death is the last enemy to be destroyed, not Satan. It's as if Satan works for death. It, the Bible talks about how death will be trampled. And Jesus went into the very center of death. And God brought him to life in that death so that life could be spread to all. So I don't know where new life needs to break out today, but let me give us a few ways this could happen. I've went ahead and I've just laid out this morning. I have towels on both sides. There are gowns laid out. If it's a day for you to give your life to Jesus in baptism to have sins washed away, to walk a new life, that maybe this Easter needs to be a fresh start for you, new life. There's an invitation for you to come. And when, the moment I see someone take one of these towels or gowns and start making your way, guys on the left, my left, girls on my right, I'll meet you in the water so we can celebrate with you new life today. Early on in like the third century, many people who were baptized, they were baptized on Easter Sunday. It became a day where the church was prepping people and prayerful that God would, would save people and lead them into new life, into fresh life. So if there's some of you, it may be your response, an invitation of God you need to respond to. But here's what we're going to do this morning too. We're going to flower a cross. So in just a moment, we have uh, teens and I think children and families who are going to bring little flowers to you. Maybe you've never seen this before. This goes back, this, this tradition goes back like 1,500 years. Tim, do you mind grabbing that cross over to the left? It goes back a long time when what this would mean is there's a cross with no flowers and then we flower. And it's, it's just a simple statement of not just individuals, but as a church, we're declaring today that there is new life, that there is hope. And we want this new life and this hope to spread. So, yeah, thanks, man. If you would just put it out front. So what we're going to do as we sing this next song is uh, flowers are going to be handed out to you. And then after that, I'm going to step back up and we'll have a moment where we're invited to come and participate. Because as a church, we're declaring today as a church, we want to be a beacon of hope and of light and of salvation. 
And by the end of the service, you're going to see this turn into this, this flower. Now, some of you will be thinking, well, the flowers we put on there will be dead in a few days. All right, let's embrace the moment today. All right, embrace the moment of what God's doing in and through this church. So, Kip, if you will, we're going to remain seated as we stand this song, sing this song. And uh, Kip's going to lead us, and flowers will come to you.